0: Well, we are in the middle of the giving season. Christmas is only 12 days away. I'd have my counter up there; that helps me, please. In light of this, we are in week two of a three-part series called "Gifts." Say, "Gifts." gifts. Now, last week we talked about what God has given to us, and next week we're going to talk about what we can give to others. Today, our subject is what we can give to God. What we can give to God. Now, I ask you this morning, what do you give someone who has everything? You know, we face this dilemma every single year, don't we? Because the reality is most people already have everything they need i know that's not true everywhere but by and large in america most of us and especially most of us that are here today and that are part of the grace place most of us already have everything we need now maybe not everything that we want but we have basically everything that we need would you agree this morning you know most men don't really need another shirt or pair of socks Um, Most ladies don't need another blouse or purse or pair of shoes, and I don't expect to convince the ladies of that here this morning. What do you give someone who has everything? We're talking about what we can give to God, but the fact of the matter is he has everything. He created everything, and everything that we have he gave to us. So what can we give to God? Well, I want to share three things with you this morning. First of all, we can give him our best. Amen? We can give him our best. You know, we can't really give God any material thing. It's already his. He owns it all. He created it all. But we can give him ourselves. But not only can we give him ourselves, but we can give him the best of ourselves. Let me ask you this this morning. Do we truly give anyone our best? You know, I believe that we give bits and pieces of ourselves to our family, our friends, our employer, and maybe, maybe our church. But there are so many demands upon us today, so many demands on us, so many demands upon our time, people, projects, places, pulling on us continually continually. Do we really give anyone our best? Or do we just give just enough to get by? Just enough to keep us employed? Just enough to keep us married? Just enough to keep our friendships? How much of ourselves do we give to God? Do we have a true relationship with him? Or do we just try and fit him into our lives somewhere? What can we give to God? What can we give to the one that already has everything? We can give him our best. 2 Timothy chapter number two and verse number five says, do your best, say do your best. It says do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Two statements I wanna make. Right here this morning First of all God desires our best In Matthew chapter 22 Jesus is asked the question Lord, Lord which is the most important Commandment Out of all of the commandments Lord which is the most important And what was Jesus' response Will we find his response In verse number 37 Jesus said you must love the Lord your God Watch this, watch this With all of your heart And with all of your soul And with all of your mind. Notice the word all. Three times Jesus uses the word all. So God desires our best. He doesn't want a divided heart. He's not pleased to be just an afterthought or or some add on or, or to be at the bottom of our list of priorities. He desires our best. But not only does he desire our best, but the second thing I want to say here, and that is God deserves our best. Since God gave his best for us, shouldn't we give our best to him? In Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 39, Jesus not only says that he deserves our best, but he also says that he demands our best. Notice what Jesus says there. Let's read these verses. Jesus says, if you love your father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. Or he said, if you love your son or your daughter more than you love me, you are not worthy of me. He went on to say, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. And he went on to say, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Wow, that's pretty strong. What can we give to God? Well, first of all, we can give to God our best. But not only can we give our best, but we also can give him our rest. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul writes, and he says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, say everything, be anxious for nothing, Paul writes, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. So Paul writes here, and he says, be anxious for nothing, or what he is saying is don't worry about anything. What is Paul saying? He's saying, be at rest, be at peace. Be at rest, be at peace about, about what, Paul? About everything. Ah, but Paul, the, vi- the virus, everything. But, but, but Paul, the pandemic, everything. But, but Paul, the new president and all our new leadership in our country, be anxious for nothing, but in, but in everything, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You know, you know, if we would pray more and protest less, if we would pray more and post on Facebook less, if we would pray more and promote our agenda less, if we would do these things, we just might sleep better at night. Oh, we might see our faith increase and our fear increase decrease I want to share three things about anxiety this morning first of all anxiety reveals a lack of trust yeah when we are anxious when we are worried when we are walking the floor and wringing our hands that anxiety reveals a lack of trust think about it this way this morning how how would you feel if your little children got all stressed out over the family bills If they had trouble eating and they had trouble sleeping because because they were all stressed out about about how mom and dad were going to pay the mortgage and the utilities. Oh, how the car payment would be made and and how food would be put on the table. How how would that make you feel as a parent if your children were anxious and worried and concerned and fretting and all stressed out about how mom and dad were going to take care of them? And yet far too many saints are like that with the heavenly father. All stressed out about their lives. Worried and anxious and stressed about everything. About everything. Guess what this says to God? It says you can't be trusted. I said when we are worried and anxious and stressed and and fretting. we We are sending a message to God. And we're saying to God, God you can't be trusted. What are we saying when we're anxious? We're saying, we're saying everything is out of control, man. What are we saying when we're when, when we're all stressed and anxious and worried? Uh, oh, we're saying to God, I can't depend on you. Anxiety reveals a lack of trust. When I ask you this morning, can God be trusted? Three people think you can. I I, I want to ask you this morning, can God be trusted? He claims to be trustworthy. He claims to be in control. He claims to be our provider and our protector. Hey, pastor, you got scripture for that? Well, I just have to have some. Came prepared this morning. I knew you were going to ask the question. How about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34? Jesus says, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? And look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which one of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of them. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? All these things the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let me give you three things about anxiety this morning. Three things about Anxiety. First of all, I've already given you, anxiety reveals a lack of trust. Second thing I want to say about anxiety is, and that is, anxiety makes our load heavier. Hey, hey, the problem is heavy enough to carry. Why would we want to add weight by worrying about it? Proverbs 12 and 25 says, worry weighs a person down. Proverbs 17 and 22 says a broken spirit saps a person's strength. And we just read it. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 34, he says, do not worry about tomorrow. He said, today's trouble is enough for today. I like what Pastor David Jeremiah says. He says, worry doesn't rob today of its sorrows. It robs tomorrow of its strength. Anxiety makes our load Heavier. Anxiety takes our problem and expands it. If, if the problem wasn't bad enough, if it wasn't heavy enough to carry, oh, oh, but anxiety takes it a step further. Anxiety takes our problem and expands it. Now we take our problem home with us. Our actions and our reactions become exaggerated and we, we explode on the very ones that we love the most anxiety expands our problem now now it starts to affect our health oh high blood pressure ulcers migraines heart attacks mental issues anxiety expands our problem it starts invading our homes and into our health which trickled out to begin to affect our happiness You know, we have today what we said yesterday we needed in order to be happy, but now we worry about losing it. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, he says, so what do people get for all of their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, even at night, their minds cannot rest. I'm giving you three things about anxiety this morning. First of all, it reveals a lack of trust. Second of all, it makes our load heavier. Oh, pastor, pastor, do you have any oil for us? Can you help us overcome anxiety? No, <laughs> I can't. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I can't, but I can point you in the right direction. The third thing I want to say about anxiety is this this morning. That is, anxiety can be lifted off of us through prayer and praise. See, it's just just really difficult to pray and worry at the same time. It's hard to praise and experience anxiety at the same time. Let me give you some scripture. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says to cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So let me ask you this morning, what are you doing with your cares? What are you doing about your anxiety? What are you doing about your worries? What are you doing about your stress? What are you doing? What are you doing? Worrying about them? Are you worrying about your cares? Are you worrying about your problems? What are you doing with your cares? What are you doing with, with, with the problems of life? Are you worrying about them? Are you trying to drink or smoke or dope them away? Is that what you're doing? What should we do with our cares? Cast them on the Lord. Give them to him in prayer. Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything then say then then you will experience god's peace which exceeds anything you can understand what should we do with our cares first of all we ought to pray we should pray second thing we should do is praise i love isaiah 61 and 3 it says we can put on the garment of praise for the spirit of despair When we're depressed, when we're discouraged, when we're troubled, when we're beaten down, when we're worried, when we're anxious, when we're all stressed up, the Bible says, oh, we can cover all of that up with a garment of praise. Praise Him with a song. Praise Him with a dance. Praise Him with your lips. Praise him by raising and clapping your hands. Praising, all oh, by counting your blessing. Oh, all oh, your blessings. Oh, praise him by lifting your voice in a victory shout. Yes. Psalm 150 verses 1 through 6 tells us to do all of these things. I do have some good news for you this morning and and the good news I have here this morning is anxiety can be lifted off of us through prayer and through praise. Will somebody give God some praise in this house today? We're talking about what we can give to God. What do you give to God? He he owns everything. He created everything. What can you give to somebody who already has it all, already owns it all, and actually created it all, and everything that we already have in our hands has already been given to us by him? What in the world can we give to God? Well, First of all, we can give him our best. Second of all, we can give him our rest. And, And number three, we can give him our zest. See, God is is not only interested in what we do, but also in how we do what we do. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse number 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it with all your might. Do it with, with all of your energy. Put everything you've got into it. Let me ask you this this morning. When is the last time you gave something your all? Remember how bad you wanted to get married? Remember how excited you were when you got engaged? Remember how bad you wanted the job or the position that you have right now? You know the one you complain about and bellyache about and gripe about and talk about and whine about? Remember how bad you wanted the job? Remember how bad you, oh, if I could just get that position, if I could only, oh, if they'd only appoint me, oh, if they'd only promote me to that, oh, if only I could get that job. Remember how you felt when you first got saved? Man, you couldn't wait to get to church. Man, rain didn't keep you out of church. Pandemic wouldn't keep you out of church, man. I mean, when you first got saved, you couldn't wait to get to church. And you volunteered for everything, man. I mean, you weren't qualified for anything, but you volunteered for everything. <laughs> Let me ask you this morning what has happened to our excitement? What has happened to our enthusiasm? What, what has happened to our zest, our zest for pleasing God in every part of our life? We'll say three quick things about enthusiasm this morning. But before I say three things about enthusiasm, I want to first of all give you the true definition of the word enthusiasm, lest you just think I'm just hyping you up this morning or giving you some pep talk. The word enthusiasm is derived from two Greek words. You didn't know I was so deep, did you? <laughs> the two Greek words are in and theos. In theos, and the brain down here is shaking his head, he knows. And the words in theos literally mean inspired by God. See, see if we're living in the will of God and walking in the spirit, then enthusiasm should be our constant companion. We should be living lives inspired by God. Or living life with enthusiasm. Now listen to me for the next three to five minutes. It's the best part of the message. Perhaps we have lost our enthusiasm because we are concentrating on the results of our efforts instead of concentrating on our obedience. She, she, God hasn't called us to be successful. Oh, America will tell you, but listen. And the American gospel is that God's called everybody to be successful, and it's true to a point. But God hasn't necessarily called us to be successful. He has called us to be obedient. And actually, success can be defined as simple as obedience. If you are walking in obedience, you are walking, you are successful. See, see, if we are obedient to God, then we are successful in his eyes. We, we, we may not be successful in everybody else's eyes, but if we, if we are obedient to God, then, then in the eyes of God, we are successful. Regardless of the results. See, we look at people, we see their results. We go, wow, they're a lot more successful than they are. Well, they, not, they might be totally out of the will of God. If they're out of the will of God, they're not successful at all. They may have things. They may have money. They have possessions. They may have all kinds of things. Man, they might be having articles written about them. They may be, you know, put on television. Everybody is saying, oh, look at their success. But unless they're obedient to God, if they're disobedient to God, then they're not successful in his eyes. See, when we stand before God on judgment day, he's only going to ask us one question. The question is going to be, were you obedient? Lord, I did this, 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 and this. Well, that's nice, but I ask you to do this. Hello? If we are obedient to God, then we are successful in his eyes regardless of the results. Paul recognized this when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 6, he said, I planted. And he said, Apollos watered. He said, but it was God, say God, God. but it was God who gave the increase. See, see the results is God's part. Right. Right. Our part is simply Obedience. It's not my responsibility to grow this church. It's not my responsibility to have more this week than I had last Sunday. My responsibility is to obey God. My, my, my job is simply to be in obedience to God. The results is God's business. The results is God's part. Our part is obedience. Listen, listen, if we had a true understanding of this, it would be much easier to maintain enthusiasm in all we do. See, see, sometimes we are disappointed with the, with the results. And the reason why we are, we are disappointed in the results is because we are wanting to harvest. Yeah. When perhaps God has us planting seeds. Perhaps God has us watering and cultivating seeds that have already been Planted, and we're all stressed, and we're all anxious, and we're all upset, and we're all depressed and discouraged. We see other people doing more than we're doing, and oh, we're not very happy. The problem is, we're wanting to harvest, but maybe it's not harvest time. Planting is not any fun, cultivating is not any fun, watering is not any fun. The fun comes when you harvest. hear me this morning, whether we are called to plant or water or harvest, all three are equally important. How many know that somebody today is harvesting seeds that somebody else planted? Somebody will, will harvest tomorrow what somebody else is cultivating and watering today. Yeah, yeah, we're all upset because we're not seeing the harvest that we want to see, but it's not harvest time, it's planting time, or it's cultivating time, or it's watering time, and all three are equally important. Harvesting is just more fun. Listen, write this down this morning. Our obedience is our success. Our obedience is our success. Well, let me quickly make three statements about enthusiasm very quickly. First of all, enthusiasm is commanded. Romans 12 and 11, in the Amplified Version, says, never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with the Spirit, serving the Lord. Enthusiasm is commanded, but here's what's so awesome about that, and that is enthusiasm is contagious. Like begets like. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 16 says, thank God, I love this verse. I love this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16. Paul writes and he says, thank God. He has given Titus the same enthusiasm for you that I have. And verse number 22, he says, another brother is also being sent. He is very eager and he is even more enthusiastic because of his great confidence in you. Wow, enthusiasm is contagious. Did you, did you see what I just read? First of all, there was Paul, then there was Titus, and then there was an unnamed brother. Oh, oh let me ask you this this morning. What kind of a spirit are you spreading? Amen. Are you spreading a positive spirit or a negative one? Enthusiasm is contagious, but so is gloom and doom and pessimism. Amen. But not only is enthusiasm commanded and contagious, but enthusiasm is compensated. Somebody said attitude determines altitude. Let me ask you this this morning. Who do you think gets promoted? The whiner and the complainer or the enthusiast? Let me ask you this this morning. Which marriage excels? The one where each partner takes the other for granted or the one where each partner remains excited about the marriage? Max Lucado says, "The devil doesn't have to steal anything from you. All he has to do is get you to take it for granted." Did you hear about the man who didn't kiss his wife for ten years, then shot a man who did? (laughs) Some of you'll get that about two weeks from next Thursday. (laughs) Enthusiasm is compensated. Enthusiasm can make up for a lot of deficiencies. Somebody said people are hired for what they can do. They're fired for who they are. Proverbs 15 and 15 says, For the despondent every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Enthusiasm is compensated. Let me ask you this morning, how enthusiastic are you about the Lord? Are you still excited about Jesus? Are you still excited about his house? Are you still excited about his presence? Are you still excited about his word? How enthusiastic are you about the Lord? Oh, are you still excited about him? The takeaway for the message this morning is simply this. Give God your best, serve him with zest, and trust him with all the rest. These are the gifts that we, can give to God. Father, I love you this morning. Lord, I'm still excited about you and about your work, about your house, about your people, about your word, about the ministry, God. Thank you, Father. God, I just pray today, Lord, that your blessing, Lord, will continue to rest upon this house and upon this people today. Have your way in this service this morning and the rest of this service in Jesus' name.